Amit, you know how much I love my old adages. One of the oldest adages, all good things must come to an end. And unfortunately, today was the day that the good thing came to an end for Morocco. Yeah, uh, we said in our semifinal preview podcast, could these teams keep doing this? The answer was resoundingly no, they could not. And while both of the semifinal losers were as good and as impressive as we thought, uh, the margins at this point in the tournament uh, came to roost, and that's what happens. And we're bummed, you know? We were joyous yesterday, we're bummed today, and... It's not necessarily that we dislike France. I think we both do a little bit, but that's yeah, fine. Yeah, we that's were just there. really rooting for Morocco, and this was sad. This is the World Cup After Dark podcast. He is Amit Malik. I'm Austin Miller. I think one thing that was really interesting about this Morocco-France game we saw today, I thought Morocco were way better than I think a lot of people expected them to be. They conceded very early, which ended the whole great defensive record. And then from that point on, until France put the game away in the 80th minute, Morocco maybe didn't have the better chances. I can think of one or two big Olivier Giroud misses. But they did just about everything right at one goal down. They forced situations. They put France under pressure. There was a stretch in the second half where Morocco had France under pressure for 20 to 25 minutes sustained, where France just couldn't get out of their own half. But at the end of the day, they didn't get the goal that they needed, and that proved to be the difference. And like so many World Cup games, it came down to the fact that they didn't have somebody to finish off a series of half chances they created. Yeah, I think that's accurate in many ways starting with Morocco were impressive once they went down because we said France are maybe one of the best teams in the world to play from 1-0 up. That is their ideal scoreline because they're so dangerous in transition. And Morocco, to the full credit of their players and Walid Bougraoui, did not back down and say, oh, we're up, we're down one, but we need to be careful of the counter. They were like, look, we need to get this goal. At some point, we need to get it. We need all match to get it. So they worked their way back into the game. They changed their formation. They overloaded guys. They really went at it. And they knew France would be dangerous on the counter. And they gave up a few chances, but they defended them fine. And they also, for stretches of the game, didn't give France anything. They locked them in. So it was really impressive for Morocco. We had said, you know, we haven't seen them chase a game 1-0. That's actually one thing they haven't done all tournament. What happens when you have to do that against the juggernaut of France, and they acquitted themselves very well. But as you concluded, they just didn't have the quality to, to, to get a goal against a France defense that we've given them a lot of flack, but was ultimately solid enough today and was there for the taking, but there was not just that moment, that extra, you know, ounce of quality for Morocco. And yeah, that's kind of what this team is. They're good enough to, take it to one of the best teams in the world, if not the best team in the world, but not good enough to finish it. And that's that's where we're at right now. We said in the preview podcast, the health of Morocco was going to be a big thing here. And it was pretty clear of those three defenders that we had question marks about. One, Awed was in the starting 11 and then pulled out before the match even started. Roman Saiz, the captain, made it 20 minutes. 
and Masrawi made it a little bit into the second half. I think he was pulled at halftime. That's a huge loss for Morocco, that those three players combined were not able to play at full fitness. And so because of that, an early change, perhaps a decision, a misguided decision to play five at the back in order to try and force Sice into the lineup, knowing that he's probably not going to be able to play for very long. And I think that kind of cost Morocco on the first goal. I think so. I thought El Yamik was caught out on the first goal. The ball's played into Griezmann in that channel where El Yamik's kind of the left center back, and he steps on Griezmann. And yep. El Yamik was fine today, but this is the difference between him and a Saiz or an Aguerd. Like he just he steps, and Griezmann's sharp and fast and turns him, and then from there it turns into a goal mouth scramble. And then, of course, you know, it's a crazy sequence in the box. It's a great finish from Theo Hernandez. It's a great finish. As far as goal mouth, ugly scramble goals are concerned, he gets his leg up to get around the ball to keep it down. It's a top-tier, world-class finish on a goal mouth scramble from a player that you wouldn't really expect it from. Agreed. He's their left back. And, you know, that's France's quality, that their left back is turning in what is a relatively high XG chance that was not that simple. And he made it look smartly taken, but yeah, this is a, this is a mistake from Morocco in two parts, right? El Yamik gets beaten on the step and then they're ball watching in the box because yep. you have to guard the guy at the back post. And that ended up hurting them on their second goal all the way in the 83rd minute. And yeah, I think that starting five in the back was a rare, rare misstep from Rogagri because you saw when they took Sice off, they switched to more of a four, five, one ish. I mean, however you want to split up that five is up to you. And they had more numbers in the midfield and they totally controlled the game against France, right? They could press them. They could pass around them. It was better in both phases. And I get, I don't think Morocco did five to respect France's, attack they did five because they wanted to protect size yeah and it's a really hard decision because there is a clear drop off in quality between the two good center backs and the two next center backs yeah and we saw that but just they couldn't right the first 10 minutes of the game is what it took for france five minutes and from there that was it right they never really got back and that's morocco's strength this whole tournament is playing 0-0 games and being very tough to break down in that game state. And then you saw it, right? Even though they were 1-0 down, they kept a high line against France. How many teams can do that for 80 minutes and survive? It showed you the quality of their structure, their midfield. But it just... I, I don't want to blame Ogrogri too much because it's a really tough contextual situation. But I do think it was a fatal mistake at the end. So it can, it can be both. And that's a bummer to me. I, I see it both ways. I can totally see both sides of this. I think it was pretty clear that Roman Saiz was not long for this game. And I also completely understand putting your captain, your talisman out there to lead your team into the biggest moment that any of them have ever witnessed. I think even knowing that, Hey, he maybe only gives me 20, 30 minutes. I'm preparing for that. For those 20, 30 minutes to be the first ones, there's 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 value in that. There's benefit in that. 
Maybe it would have been better. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. You save him on the bench, and if you get a lead, then you can bring him on for the 20 minutes that, he, that you think he can give you. But as you said, it proved costly because it kind of whacked out their shape, and then Elliot makes the mistake. That leads to the goal, and you don't get much from Saiz after that. Again, I see both sides of it. It cost them. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, if if Morocco don't concede in the first 15, 20 minutes and you he has to come off, then you survive, then you're in a much better spot. It's yeah. unfortunate that it didn't work, but they kind of set themselves up to fail. It could have worked. The decision could have worked, and it's unfortunate that it didn't, but probably, probably the wrong decision. What's a bummer is, as you said, from there on out, Morocco did everything right, we think, to get back in this game. And it started with keeping the high line. It started with adding a central midfielder. They were really good at pressing France, counter-pressing when they lost the ball. They didn't give France a lot of room. And sure, Giroud had a few chances. One of them that he probably should have scored. Uh, yeah, two. Yeah, the one that he put off yeah. the post, that's a scorable chance. Maybe not a you-have-to-score chance, but that's a scorable chance. And right. then the empty net that he had to shoot at. That's got to go in. Yeah, he's trying to do the Julian Alvarez one-touch finish to speed the game up to give them time to recover. But he perhaps would have suited well from aiming. Yeah. <laughs> take take an extra second. Because he, he kind of hits it blind almost, right? Right. Like he's turning and shooting. And I, I get it smart. That's what a smart striker does. That's why Drew is so good. But maybe he had enough time to aim. Yeah, okay, he had more fine. time to, to control yeah. it and aim it. And so... What allowed Morocco to get into this match was they were tactically astute. And in the second half in particular, they looked at this French team and they said, our best players play on the right. They are probably weakest defensively on their left. And so they just put every good player that they had on the right side. Ziyech, Akimi, Buffal was shifting over to the right. And they just tried to overload France. And they basically dared Kylian Mbappe to track back and put in defensive work rate. And he basically said, I think I'm good. I'm just going to camp out here and look at the 70 yards of space you've left behind. And I'm just going to run into that when we win the ball. But France didn't win the ball enough for that to be effective. And so Morocco had these opportunities. They overloaded space. They worked these really intricate passing moves. They got into the box. They didn't have the last moment that they needed. Yes, you hit it on on the head there because they all, they also Unahi moved into that space. So it was really three, four on two or three. Like it was always yeah. a numbers advantage and that's on Mbappe. And I think it was a chess match between both teams, players, managers that was working for Morocco, but it was tenable for France because of Mbappe's threat. And then what you saw is once or twice when that ball did get to him, it was Sofian Amrabat, not Sofian, sorry, different first name, but it was Amrabat one-on-one with Kylian Mbappe, and Amrabat tracked 70 yards back for a game-saving tackle, and did a few other times, you know, squeezed him on the end line. It was just really excellent one-on-one defending from Amrabat, and we'll talk about him later, but what a game from him again. It is Sofian Amrabat. You got oh, your Amrabat okay. mixed up. It it's is Sofian Amrabat. Nice, you, nice. You, you were scared. You were scared. Um, that tackle was insane. The 70-yard run against literally Mbappe, just sprinting at full speed to get back, win the tackle cleanly. 
And then I think Didier Deschamps did something really smart. You can't really take off Mbappe because he's Mbappe and is so good and is lethal on the counter. But also, it wasn't super tenable to just sacrifice that space. And so what does he do? He takes off Olivier Giroud. He brings on Marcos Thuram and he moves Mbappe central where Mbappe's whole bit of just standing around and waiting to go into full gear is a lot more effective because it doesn't really matter. And so Thuram gives them defensive work rate on that side. And I think that was a really intelligent change. And that threw Morocco off balance. And it took them a while to get back going again. And I think those 10, 15 minutes they lost while that happened were super important. Agreed completely. The change from Deschamps totally saved France. Because you're right, it wasn't tenable. Right, France were living with it, but they were getting battered. You can't stay... If you get battered for 45 minutes a goal is going to bounce into your net. Like, that's probably what's going to happen. It was a really, really smart change from, we have to say, Deschamps has been a very good manager for the second straight run for France. He's very experienced. He knows what he's doing. He read the game well. He was like, we, even though we're France, we can't just let them batter us. So, Trump, on top of the defensive work rate, the other reason why it worked is because he had the speed and the dribbling to do what Mbappe was doing was be an outlet on the counter. Yeah, he gives you like 80% of what Mbappe does in the attack and and 100% more of what he does defensively. Right. And it was, he, he, Deschamps couldn't protect his team's midfield in this one. They were just going to lose the battle because Rabiot was out and he, who was he going to sub on? I think, Kamavinga is their next best central midfielder. We know he's a great player, but he he's, you know, maybe not the defensive work rate that they needed. And Fofana was fine in this game. He didn't do anything necessarily bad that stood out, but you saw the difference here. And this is where France were, you know, finally missing N'Golo Conte, the best defensive work rate midfielder in the world. <laughs> it was nice for them to have him in 2018, and they didn't. And then Morocco kind of bossed them around in the midfield. But Deschamps did enough, right? And then you leave Mbappe on, and he does what he does in the 80th minute, right? He gets the ball, he plays it to Taram, he gets it back, and just this is the difference between France and Morocco. Morocco outplayed them, had the right ideas, and the moments of quality, right? The finish from Hernandez. And right here, Mbappe, that technique in the box to snake around two defenders, yeah, the shot you know, bounces off Buno and there's nothing he can do. And it's a fine finish from Kolo Muani. Had to see that one. <laughs> and quickly on that, how's that for a first World Cup touch? Oh, I'm yeah, just right. scoring the goal that literally sealed our spot in a World Cup final. Sure. Great. Cool. Yeah. Love it. It was good from France. And that's what they do, right? It's just two moments of brilliance and they were hammered all game. The final XG, 2 to 0.7. Like, I think that's harsh to Morocco, but not really. It tells the story of the game. And if you watched, you understand the game state. Good chance early from Hernandez. You know, Morocco probably should have got one in the next 80 minutes for all their pressure, but didn't have a golden, golden chance. Right. And then there's a rebound off a keeper at point blank. Of course, that's a very, very high XG. So, yeah. And again, that's that's another situation where... The Moroccan left back, Ariane Ali, in this situation, gets caught ball watching. Yeah. Kylian Mbappe is currently shredding your other four defenders. 
you can't leave your guy unmarked at the post and that ended up costing them. So like you said, it's so hard to have the defensive work rate that Morocco showed in the games where they kept clean sheets. And that kind of was on display here today. They had a really good defensive performance. They weren't bad by any means, but they had individuals switch off twice and it cost them on both goals. And against a team that is as high quality, as good as France are, those are the differences. Yeah. And that's just to wrap some of this up, getting into that stage of it, right? This is the difference again between Morocco and France. Morocco missed their three of their defenders at points in this game. And they saw mistakes from backups on both of the goals. France lost Dio Upamecano before the game, and they subbed in Kanate, and Kanate was excellent. They te- he was the left side center back for France, and he was single-handedly diffusing a lot of Morocco attacks with a perfectly placed touch or challenge or reading. He was really good. And again, like, no Benzema. Giroud didn't score in this game, but he was a threat. And... You know, I'm not going to sit here and say Colo Muani saved France. I think anyone in that position could score the game. But it, it the changes worked for Deschamps. Thuram is a really good example. And Morocco, right, in having to get rid of Sice, lost a sub in, yep. in the second half. And they had to sub off Buffal, who was one of their best attackers, but just it's probably because of legs. And yeah. then they, uh, they kind of lost a little steam there. They lose the Mirzawi sub. It's hard, I, right? I bigged up our dude Amdala on the podcast, said he could have a role. Does not have a left foot. Oh, Should have yeah. noted that. He had a great chance in the box. Did not have a left foot. It's yeah. a much more difficult chance if you do not have a left foot. And he didn't. And that cost yeah. him. And, you know, we've talked about this for 15 plus minutes. Morocco had a bike that was saved by Hugo <laughs> yes. Lloris at the yeah. end of the first half. El it was obviously a, a low XG chance from the sub center back that had slipped up on the goal, but he wanted to make it right. He was ready. He was gonna make. I, I was, it was going in. I know, Hugo I Lloris, you know, didn't have a ton to do, but that was a big save. It's this is what France do well. They don't need to control a game to win the game. They don't need to be dangerous for ninety minutes to win a game. Is it frustrating the way they play? Yes, but it's probably, we have evidence from two World Cup runs, the right way to play for their squad. Deschamps knows that they're not the best team in the world, despite having the talent of the best team in the world, but he plays them much more conservatively in an attempt to control the game. And it's working. And it's because Mbappe is a game-breaking talent. And when you have that kind of guy on your team, you can rely on him to save you. And it's hard to say it's not smart. I don't really like to do this podcast to, you know, go over every single officiating decision in the game, should it have been a penalty or not. But that Buffal Teo Hernandez play, the more you see it, that could absolutely have been a penalty, right? Yeah, it was kind of glossed over in all of this, but... Yeah, it's, it's a weird play... But it's Hernandez who creates the contact on Buffal in that situation. Yeah. It could be a penalty. Yeah, it could have been. You know, uh, side note, almost every team that has lost has complained about the referees. Yes. Even Luka Modric yesterday yeah. was like, I hate this ref. As soon as I saw this ref, I knew we were bad. Harry Maguire complained about the France-England ref. It's like getting out of hand. Like, 
give credit to Harry Maguire because in order to do that, he had to string together competent words. So proud of you, Harry. <laughs> that was a low blow. Sorry. Not though. Um, I don't want to get into a whole Argentina-France preview here because we're going to do that podcast. But a couple of things that I want to put on the record now, mainly so I don't forget them as we go into the podcast. What we mentioned about the French midfield kind of getting played out of this game, I think that's a, a, a positive point for Argentina because their midfield has been able to control matches. And the fact that we established pretty clearly here, Kylian Mbappe is not going to contribute to France defensively in the sense that he's not going to be the player doing things defensively. He makes them better defensively because he can just camp and run, and that's what he was able to do against Morocco today. But if Mbappe starts on that left side, that puts a ton of pressure on Hernandez in behind him and then whoever plays that left center back role for France. And that's where Argentina likes to cook because that's where Messi's going to be on Argentina's right. So I think that's another super interesting matchup to watch in the final. And admit, this is the final, right? This is the game that you expected, that you thought of. Obviously, Brazil were candidates as well. But when the draw came out for this World Cup, the expectation was Brazil or Argentina against France in the final. And that is what we have. And man, it's a World Cup final. It's a massive occasion. But wow. Wow. Yeah, I was talking with one of my friends about this. This is probably the biggest, at least one of the top three biggest World Cup games of the century, of all time, perhaps. Like, it's that level because of the legacies involved here. For Messi's personal legacy, for Argentina, France can repeat Mbappe, as we already outlined in the failed Brady-Mahomes comparison, (laughs) is that Mbappe-Messi is the two best players of their generations getting to play each other, and they're Messi is enough at the peak of his powers that it's a fair fight. And these teams played each other in 2018 and it was explosive, but France were the better team and got through and look now what Argentina have done in these four years. That's all you need to know about how awesome this game is going to be. They are so much more of a contender than they were then. That squad was old and bad and couldn't protect himself and was poorly managed. And poorly managed. Scaloni, we know, is doing a great job. We've come on every podcast and said, wow, he's got it right. They have the best team around Messi. We've, we're going to do this more, but like, yeah. this is this is everything you want in a World Cup final. It is all the stakes. It's all the drama. Legacies on the field. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it is a great casual game as well. Messi, Mbappe, then, now. Two huge countries, obviously, that are well-known to those who who don't necessarily follow soccer that closely. I use the word soccer there because I'm referring mainly to the American audience here. And it is just a fantastic match. And I think also we're both probably pretty confident it's probably not going to be terribly cagey. I mean, it's a World Cup final. It's probably going to be cagey. But I think that these are two teams that can open this game up a little bit. And it'll be pretty good for a neutral. Agreed. We knew France and England was going to be like this because despite both managers um, tilt toward conservatism, there was too much talent on the field for it to be cagey. It's the same way here. We know these teams are going to respect each other and respect the game breaking talents on each side. But those talents are so good that like even in control, the moments of attack, 
the players will do something. And if for some reason we get a KG 0-0 game, it's the World Cup final. So there will be content and drama and Tension. things that, that make it fun. So yeah. it's guaranteed for an awesome game and more likely than not, probably multiple goals. Oh, Although that yeah. almost never happens in World Cup finals. The last one it was, but yeah. right, we saw one zeros the two before that, a one one in oh six that was a, a draw. So it's it's gonna be great. Yeah. We will preview that later this week, either Friday or Saturday. So be on the lookout for that. We'll go deep dive into everything. We'll talk about the matchups. We will go into all of that and we're really looking forward to it. As we close this podcast out, Amit, I think we would be remiss if we didn't kind of try to put into context or at least just talk good about what Morocco did at this World Cup. They became the first African team to make a World Cup semifinal. They were the Arab representative at an Arab World Cup, the first Arab World Cup. What their fans brought to this tournament was fantastic. The atmosphere today was incredible. The, the Moroccan anthem was, I think, probably one of the best anthems we've seen at this World Cup. It was awesome to watch them take down Spain and Portugal. It's a shame that they fell short against France, but they absolutely are leaving Qatar with their heads held high. Totally. This was a lot of good things about what world football is right now. Yeah. And we've talked about it on this podcast before, right? It reflects the growing globalization of the game. You get rewarded when you manage a team well and you build a team cohesively and then all your players are good. Like Morocco, perhaps underrated by many coming into this tournament, were right there on talent in the that tier of teams yeah. and the gap as you've said is closer than it was and you saw that on the field today they're not as good as france or argentina but they are good enough to compete and to win and they beat a spain and portugal and to start with before i'll t- turn it back to you is watch what's going to happen to all of these players that had good tournaments yeah i know ziech is at chelsea and hakimi is at PSG, but amrabat is at fiorentina Guaranteed he's going to get picked up by a big club. Sofian Buffal is fine. He, he's probably going to get picked up at a bigger club. Unahi is going to get picked up at a bigger club. Saiz and Aguirre are in the Premier League, so they're probably fine. But if a big team wants them, they're great. But, like, this is such a talented team. And it's just showing you that the World Cup shows, like, these talents were underappreciated beforehand. We were all missing out on them. What's the big money move for Wally Chidera? Mm, can he get from Serie B to Serie A? I mean, I think he's just going to try to take his team from Serie B to Serie A. That's probably his best path to yeah. the top flight in he, Italy. If he can be the Italian version of Mitrovic, that'd be a great career path for him. I'm Do not, not sure think he he's going to be the Italian No, Mitrovic is really Mitrovic. good. <laughs> um, yeah, I think what was so great about Morocco in this tournament for me is they didn't have to do it in a way that it felt like they were getting lucky. Like when, when Costa Rica made a world cup quarterfinal and almost got to the world cup semifinals on penalties, there was an aspect that yes, they're doing this really well, but it also felt like they're kind of riding their luck. I didn't think Morocco rode their luck at this tournament. I thought they were good value for what they provided here. Yeah. They defended a lot. Good teams have to defend a lot. That's what happens at world football. 
But the way that they defended was so cohesive, was so impressive that it didn't feel like, wow, Morocco got so lucky to make a World Cup semifinal. They were better than Spain. They executed their game plan. They limited Spanish chances and they won on penalties. They flat out beat Spain in the penalty shootout, deservedly so. Against Portugal, they were even better. They scored a goal against Portugal. They took their opportunity and they limited a Portugal team that had just absolutely shredded Switzerland in the round before. And today, I think, was maybe even the most impressive thing that they did all tournament, and it came in a loss. They waxed Belgium in the group stage, a really good Belgium team, all of the everything aside. They beat them 2-0. They smashed them. And then today against France, they took the undisputed best team at the World Cup, and they largely matched them. They didn't score the goal. We talked about that. They needed that. That would have made a massive difference for them. But other than that, they took the game to France. They were not afraid of France. They created opportunities and they very nearly pulled something off today. And that is absolute credit to them. The high-level players that they have, Hakimi, Ziyech, the mid-level players who are about to become high-level players. And I think we have to to, to close. Rigwawi, incredible tournament. Fabulous managerial job at this tournament. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go because Morocco have laid the blueprint along with perhaps Japan on how to be a proper underdog now in modern football in the post-analytic era. You can't do what Costa Rica did unless you get really lucky. You can't just bunker for 90, 120 minutes and get lucky counter, not lucky, but like you can't go one on four or two on four and expect that to be feasible. Other teams have to respect your attack, and that's what worked for Morocco because those teams could not commit to them. And then you also can't just play a deep line, right? Morocco's defensive approach worked because there was some courage behind it. And they they, also were – they changed it, right? They changed it depending on the opposition. They played a deep line against Spain because they knew Spain couldn't run in behind them. That's not what Spain did. Against Portugal, they brought their line of confrontation far forward because of that. I I think that is something that's super interesting is they adjusted their approach based on the opposition and did it so, so well. And that's such a credit to their manager. Exactly. This was a textbook lesson from McGregor and what to do at a World Cup. And it's maximizing every little margin. Their in-game subs were good. Another point today, I know they didn't get the goal. But look how early those second half subs came. Right. I was sitting there going, maybe they need to wait 15 minutes so that France don't steal one in the first half of the second half and end the game. Nope. He was like, we need all the time we have in this game to attack. They did it in the first half, too. They just they got everything right. Like it was really impressive from McGregor, and I I think he's done enough. I know it's a small sample size for him to get a job somewhere that he can show more of this. And I don't think it was a flash in the pan. You yeah, obviously also never know. I don't know if he'd want to do that. Like I completely agree. If he wants that, it's on the table. Could absolutely happen. There's a lot to like about this Morocco team going forward as well. Akibi is 24. Mazraoui is 25. Arwer is is 26. Uh, you know, Ziyech is, where is Akib Ziyech? There he is. He's 29. Amrabat, 26. There's the core here for this team to contend for an African title, contend for an African Cup of Nations, 
And in 2026, be a team that can be a threat at a World Cup. Absolutely. Whether Uruguay would like to to try his hand at top-tier European club football, that decision is completely up to him. But this is a team that if they keep their foundation together, they can absolutely be players on the international stage going forward. Agreed completely. And this is a very tangential point. But I want to bring up that one time I got upset with Pablo Maurer for saying the U.S.'s expectations should be to get out of the round of 16 in 2020, or just in general. And yes, in 2026, their expectation should be to make a quarterfinal. But there are more teams than ever outside of the top, you know, accepted hierarchy in world football that are dangerous, right? Morocco are going to have expectations to do this again with a core that age. Croatia will probably see fade because of their core. Japan will be there. Canada, United States, right? Like, these are all these growing teams. So Ecuador. it's harder. Ecuador were a really good team. And then imagine just there were few European powers missing, right? What if Germany are in a knockout round? What if Italy make it back? Like, what? I, I'm not going to suppose that there are other South American teams. I don't know the, the cycle there. But there are other countries in South America that can be good on top of just Brazil, Argentina, and Ecuador. Yeah. Yeah, it, the growing level of world football, I think, is is a big takeaway from this World Cup that we've seen. The point that we've made repetitively here. The gap between the top tiers is closing. And the gap, I think even more particularly, between the teams that are not global super-duper powers, which at this tournament were basically France and Brazil. The gap between the teams that are not that, the the Germanys, the Spains, the Portugals, and everybody else, as small as it's ever been. And I think we we saw witness to that at this tournament. Final question here. Are you excited for the third place match? Can I convince you about a Croatia-Morocco third place match? Yeah, I am. I think third place matches have to be your cup of tea. If you're someone that doesn't want to watch two losers play or like a not fully competitive match you're not going to be convinced but as someone that just enjoys this stage and these teams and these players of course i'm up for it the crowd will be good it's a big opportunity for morocco to get a medal uh, at a world cup um which is a big hallmark for them for first Africa. african team to do it yeah so that matters and i think croatia they'll play like, I'm not saying they're going to care as much as Morocco, but I don't think they want to get embarrassed, and I just think that's not in their DNA. They are a team that plays hard all the time because that's the only gear they have. So, yeah, I'll watch. I think it'll be exciting. I think, you know, we've seen oftentimes great third-place games because the attacks just flow, and that's beautiful. Yeah, there's no, there's not going to be any legs in this third-place game. I think that much is, is certain. Both of these teams have been spent. The choices for the managers are, are basically, okay, do we play the same guys knowing they don't have legs or do we rotate and become worse through that way? I'm excited because Wally Chadir is going to be back in our lives after missing this one out with a red card. The third place match is where he goes to cook. We finally get to answer the question. How many chances will it take for Chadir to score? There you go. I've got my odds around four or five before he puts one in the back of the net. <laughs> uh, and also... For the second straight World Cup, the third place game is a group stage rematch, which I think is a super interesting factoid. We saw Belgium, England play two meaningless matches at the last World Cup. 
Croatia Morocco open to the group stage and what a sign that zero zero draw turned out to be. Uh, and now they're they're running it back. It's interesting. Wow, that group really was uh, the Pretty most darn good. Group. Yeah. Quite good. Yeah, a lot of talent in that group. Maybe not such a shame that Belgium went home there. Or or Canada. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, like we said, we'll be back to preview the final in a couple days' time. Man, we talked about it a little bit. Wow, what a final we have. It is going to be, wow, it's a World Cup final. They always are incredible, but this, even more so than any other, is going to be incredible. As always, thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard today, uh, rate, review, do whatever. I don't know. Do whatever fits your boat. It's it's not going to make a difference for our day anyway. But we do like when we get positive reviews. So, yeah, you know, everybody likes that. A little, little, little juice. We like the juice, right, Amit? Of course. Yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't? All right, that's all from us. We'll be back to preview the final.